Hey. Good morning, Woodlands Church. It is so great to see you today. So great to worship together. Um, thank you, worship team. I love that song, The Wind and the Waves. It's, it's brand new, and our church is the only one that's heard it so far. Um, so that's exciting. But let's just bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you once again for the opportunity to come together and worship, to thank you, to put a, a pause, a comma in our week as we all direct our attention on you. And we thank you. We thank you for what you've done for us on the cross, what you're doing currently in our lives, and for what you have for us in the future. Teach us today from your word. Help us to have ears that truly hear what you have to say to us. In your precious holy name we pray, amen. Amen, you can be seated. We're starting a new series that we're calling Dinner with Jesus. I mean, have you ever thought about it, that Jesus ate? Yeah, the Bible says Jesus came eating and drinking. The Son of God in human flesh ate and enjoyed food while he walked this earth. And in God's wisdom, he designed us to need food on a regular basis. He could have done otherwise, but he chose and designed us so that we would get hungry and we'd need to redirect our focus and reflect every day that we aren't an island. We need sustenance that comes from outside of us. Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Now, a lot of times in America, we hardly feel the need to pray for it. But in many places all over the world, as they pray, give us this day our daily bread, it exposes the continual worry of much of the world. And we did some research on what Jesus ate. And the diet of a Galilean in the first century would have been a little bit like the Mediterranean diet of today. It was really healthy. Jesus ate a diet of dates and pomegranates and olives and some vegetables and some fish. But the staple in Jesus' meals would have been bread. Jesus ate bread at almost every meal. So Carrie and I are going to make the kind of bread that Jesus ate for you today. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, we're going to make Jesus bread, and it's unleavened bread. And it's, uh, but they used a different kind of grain. Mostly it was barley. That was the grain of the poor. And then if you had wheat, that meant that you were wealthy. But both of those grains were more rich in protein. And they would eat bread at almost every meal. So we're making Jesus bread. If you eat Jesus bread, boy, you'll become a really strong Christian. And for those of you who are wanting to make some of this at home, um, I recreate this. I don't know if you will, but... It, there's two cups of, this is two cups of wheat flour. You could use barley flour. It's a really simple recipe. You don't even need to write it down because you can remember this. Two cups of that, a half cup of water, and then a teaspoon of salt here. And, and salt was for those, um, you, that was expensive, but I know Jesus had some salt at times in his bread. And then a tablespoon of olive oil, and that is it. And they had a lot of olives around and a lot of olive oil. Okay, so now we've got it. Then you stir it up. Yeah. And in, the, in Jesus' day, we would have been grinding this grain, um, you know, collecting it in the field, grinding it out with the mortar and pestle, and then making our flour. We, did, we skipped that. Jesus didn't have an H-E-B. We do. And we, mm-hmm. we, just, we just did that. But, yeah. So you mix it up, and it just looks exactly like you would think. If you can't see this very well, it looks like flour and water mixed together. And then we make it into a ball. Good. Hey, if uh, this is Jesus' bread, is donuts the devil's bread? Because they tempt me, (laughs) tempt me all the time. Is this tempting you? (laughs) No, this isn't tempting me right here, but, uh, but I'm sure it's good for you. Yeah, so... It doesn't stick together great. This is a little messy, as you can probably tell. But what they would do is work with it. You'd have to knead it. And for those of you who know how to make bread here, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, she's not doing it right. And you are totally right about that. But I'm going to tell, let's just imagine this is how it went. She's doing it like Jesus, so who's better? 
Jesus or you? Yeah. And so they would knead this dough for a long time um, until it really got, everything was totally mixed together. It was all uniform. And, um, and then they'd make it into a ball. They would knead it for longer than I did. But we have one we already needed for yeah. you. This is like a real cooking show, huh? Yeah. Okay. So Someone in the back knows what they're doing. Yeah. That's right. So then they'd take a piece of it and roll it in the ball. Carrie, do you want to do this? Do you, sure. I think I feel like I feel like you're totally. I'm not capable doing of this. anything. Yeah. You'd make a ball. This is the way it is at home. So. Um, <laughs> and I'll roll that out. Okay. So I roll I this out until it's like thin and kind of mm-hmm. circlish, unlike what yeah. you're doing. Okay. Wow, that, that is, is really terrible. I don't but know anyway. how you messed this up, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Tuck that in. Okay. Okay. All right. And it's after working. after it was rolled out pretty thin, then they would cook it on a hot surface um, with nothing on it. Just put this dough onto a hot surface. Um, we are using this. Like stone or something? Well, or, or some kind of skillet. Ham, skillet, yeah. So you throw it on there. And then, I know you can't see this. It looks a little bit like a pancake, okay? Oh. Picture a pancake. Make another one. That's really oddly shaped because Carrie made it. And mm-hmm. you'll have an idea of what this looks like. Now, what, here, let me show you what we're heading for. This is one that's already cooked. And it's just, you know, it's not like, it doesn't break like a cracker, but it's also not like a pancake. It's just got somewhere in between. There's no leaven in this, no yeast. And so Kind of like pita would, bread. Yeah, not quite as puffy. But then you'd put okay. maybe some herbs on it or, you know, have dates, olives. They could put fish. You could put some fish in here. And this is what he used. Okay, that is just pitiful. <laughs> Okay, sorry. I'll tear that off. Because it's not working. Anyway, that's pretty good. All right. And so, okay, just be patient, folks. It's yeah. coming. So he oh, would hot off that the griddle. Up, and um, as we study the Gospels, it's really amazing to see how many of the stories about Jesus revolve around meals. Yeah, why do you think that is? Because as you look through the Gospels, you really do see this. So much of his teaching, mm-hmm. many of his miracles happened around dinner. As a matter of fact, the passage we're studying today is in Luke. And if you read through the book of Luke, it, Jesus is pretty much eating his way through the book of Luke because yeah. he's always coming from a meal or at a meal or going to a meal. It seems like that's just the regular thing that's happening. And I love that this is portrayed so well in the Bible because dinner is an everyday thing. Dinner happens every day. Meals happen every day. It's an ordinary part of daily life. And the way Jesus taught, sure, sometimes he would teach in the synagogue, but his everyday way of sharing the message was sitting around a table just talking, just talking and doing life with people. This is how he often taught his everyday communication. And that shows us that that's what we should be doing, using mealtime as an opportunity to connect with each other and to, to reach out. It shows me that being spiritual doesn't mean being mystical or having a lot of Bible knowledge. Um, growing spiritually just means letting God be the central part of your everyday life. In Romans 12, chapter 1, it says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, and walking around life. And I want you to place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Embracing your everyday life. Now, some people think about life as a loaf of bread, and it's cut into a lot of slices, and so maybe you have a work slice, and you have your family slice, you have your hobby slice, and your financial slice, and then you have a God slice, and that's where you put in all the things like going to church. That's not the way God describes our lives at all. The truth is, our whole lives are God. The whole loaf is His. All of it. He wants to be involved in every single part of your life. You're eating, sleeping, walking around, everyday life. 
And so being a Christ follower means acknowledging that all of my time, all of my words, all of my decisions are willingly surrendered to be used as he sees fit. It's this day-by-day choice to give up our self-centered ways and follow him. Yeah, it's coming along pretty good. I was going to ask you how it's going. It's looking... Can you pass me those dates? I just got mm. a great idea. Date bread. Because I bet Jesus had <laughs> dates in there. And maybe I'll throw some figs in. And I forgot to wash my hands. But it'll cook out. Don't worry. And honestly. And I won't put the seed. You couldn't really like go downhill from here. So this well, can only true. help. Okay. You know, um, a lot of Christians wouldn't think of dinner as a spiritual thing, but it is. And some of you are probably thinking, um, have you been to my house at dinner time? It's not a spiritual thing. In fact, I don't even think you can call it dinner because we rarely gather around the table. Everyone is so busy, we hardly ever sit down and eat at the same time. We get it. But in this series, we're gonna talk about some of these practical things to help you change some of that. But more importantly, we're going to learn some powerful principles from Jesus that can change your life. Now, here we have it. Date bread. It's done. I'm going to put it here. With the real stuff? And then, yeah, with, the, no, that's the best. On top, it's hot. <laughs> I'm going to give it to the front row because when you're on the front row, you get special treatment. So somebody come up here and take it and pass it out. Bless it. And maybe it'll feed the thousands. <laughs> Who knows? Hey, I want us to look at a passage of scripture where Jesus goes to a family dinner. He goes to the village of Bethany to the home of two sisters, Mary and Martha, and their brother Lazarus. So would you stand in honor of God's word and look at Luke chapter 10, verse 38. It's now as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who was also seated at the Lord's feet and was listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do the serving by myself? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. You can be seated. Let's dig into this passage and see what we can learn. Now, look at verse 38 of that passage. It says, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him. I want to stop right here. I feel like sometimes Martha's gotten a bad rap throughout history. And I want to point out something that she got right, really right. Jesus and some of his followers came to her village And when she saw that they were tired and dusty from their journey, Martha welcomed them to her home and she sprang into action. Now, this is a great picture of being available to be used. Martha saw a practical need and then she stepped in to fill it. She saw a need and she thought, I can do something about that. And she jumped in to change things, to make it better. And what would it look like if we followed that example? What would it look like for us to invite Jesus into our daily lives, into our homes, into our workplace, into our schools? What kind of change would that make? What would it be like if you invited Jesus into your work and instead of stepping it through the door at work and going into just work mode and you're just focusing on the bottom line, if instead you started being welcoming, focusing on people and really seeing them and seeing what their needs were, what you could do to help out, Or maybe you're a student. When you go to school, what might that look like? Maybe you go into the lunchroom, and as you're about to sit down with your group of friends that you always sit with, you see this kid that's off sitting by themselves. Well, then it might look like getting up and going over to that kid and just saying, hey, is this seat taken? Can I eat here today? Making someone a little less lonely. One of the ways it would change us is we would open our eyes to see How can I be used today? How can I be available to God? How can I welcome him into my ordinary life? So Martha welcomes Jesus. And then things went downhill for Martha from there. Because look what happens next. In verse 40, it says, But Martha was distracted by all her preparations. 
She welcomed Jesus on her own terms. She welcomed Jesus, but then she knew how she wanted this to go. And to be honest, I have to admit, I totally get Martha. I understand this, and maybe some of you can identify with her too. I know what it's like to be in a family where everyone seems to think that pot roast and clean socks just fall out of the sky into their outstretched hands. And sometimes it feels like you're the only one. You're just constantly working and trying to get things done for everybody else. And yet no one sees you working. Nobody sees you trying. I know what it's like to host and try to feed everyone in the room and also make them feel welcome and and make sure everybody's having a good time or a perfect time or else feel like it's my fault and I must be a bad hostess. Can any of you relate to that? Martha gets so caught up in preparing the meal that she got distracted from the whole purpose of the dinner. To be distracted, you have to be distracted from something by something. So Martha is distracted from listening to Jesus by her cooking, by her meal plan. She was so busy with her meal plan that she forgot the main course. And the main course is always connection. The main course is connection. Jesus told Martha in Luke chapter, chapter 10, verse 42, only one thing is essential, and Mary has chosen it. It's the main course and won't be taken away from her. You and I were created for connection, for a relationship with God and relationships with others. But just like Martha, we get distracted with so many things in life. It just seems like life is so busy and we miss out on the main course. Our real hunger is for connection. That's our true hunger as humans. It's the thing we really need. In John 6 verse 35, it says that Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Have you ever gone all out? You made a meal and you did everything. You planned the menu really carefully. And then you went shopping. You bought all the ingredients. You get it all back home. And then you spread everything out and start chopping and slicing and dicing and trying to make everything absolutely awesome. You're doing the table setting from Pinterest. I mean, it's going to be amazing, this meal. And then everybody comes to the table. You finally have your your work of art, your masterpiece on the table. And in about, I don't know, 12 minutes, everybody's done. It's over. The the food has been been eaten. Everybody gets up and and goes. And you're thinking, wait, what just happened? I wanted this to be so incredible. And And all of a sudden, it's over. And not only that, but to add insult to injury, a few hours later, everybody's hungry again. It didn't even last. Well, here's what I love. Jesus knows us. He knows us. He knows that we go through that. He knows the anxieties we have. Jesus knew that Martha was rushing around and feeling like a martyr. And he knows our every thought. And I have a feeling that the other people who were seated that day with Mary at Jesus' feet, listening to him teach, I think they sensed Martha's frustration too. Because she was probably huffing and puffing, banging that lamb stew pot lid a little too loudly, letting people know, hey, I'm over here working, guys. Being sure she was in the sight line as she peeled vegetables. Letting people know, hey, I'm working so hard. I'm doing all this for you. And her frustration is rising. She's getting frustrated. She's mad. She feels like a martyr. And no one's paying attention. No one's helping her. And finally, she can't hold it in anymore. And the Bible says that she stepped in. In in verse 40, she stepped in, interrupting them. Master, don't you care that my sister has abandoned the kitchen to me? Tell her to lend me a hand. Okay, first of all, Let me just say that I did not grow up going to church. And it is amazing how every time I read a Bible story and really dig into it, I see something new. I am surprised. I think, wow, look what happened next. And so this is surprising to me because right off the bat, she interrupted Jesus. It says she stepped in interrupting them. She interrupted Jesus. I read this and I think the audacity. Wow. Martha, what are you thinking? And then God reminds me 
that I have done the same thing so many times. Interrupting someone says, my words are more important than yours. I have something to say that's more important than what you're saying. It's giving yourself special permission to barge in on a conversation because you need to get your point across because you're having big feelings, regardless of what God may be doing in the moment. And that's where Martha's at. She's been gathering steam, thinking about how mistreated she is, and now there's no stopping her. So she interrupts Jesus, and then, get this, Martha accuses Jesus of not caring about her. She accuses Jesus. I mean, get a picture of this. She interrupts Jesus. This is God on earth. She interrupts him, and now she says, you don't even care about me, do you? Master, don't you care? Is what she says. And again, my knee-jerk reaction is, Martha, close your mouth. Are you crazy? Stop talking. And then I remember all the times that I have blamed God for things not going the way I wanted them to, the way I planned on, or maybe not doing things in a way that made everything easier for me. Have you ever done that? Okay, I get this far and I say, I get you, Martha. I hear you. But what comes out of Martha's mouth next is just too much. After she's interrupted Jesus and after she has accused Jesus of not caring, this is Jesus on his way to the cross. Jesus, you don't care about me. Then she commands Jesus and she tells him what to do. She says to him, tell her to lend me a hand. She commands Jesus to tell her sister to go help out. Now there have been plenty of times where I've done this. Plenty of times where I've had some ideas for God about how he could deal with people. And I wanted to tell him. And I love Jesus' response because this is how Jesus responded. After Mary, Martha interrupts him, accuses him of being uncaring, tries to boss Jesus around, Jesus responds, and there's a lot to learn here. He doesn't respond to her words. He responds to her heart. And in effect, he says, Martha, dear Martha. I love that he says her name two times. Martha, dear Martha, I know you feel anxious and troubled about so many things. But what's missing here? It's, you're getting it wrong. What's missing is not another plate of food. What's missing is your understanding of what really matters. I am providing the meal. I, Jesus, am the bread. I am providing the meal. And your sister is eating it. And I won't allow you to take it from her. Like Martha, sometimes we get more concerned about making things perfect than being present for the people that we're with. I want you to look. Let's look at uh, Luke 10.39. Luke 10.39. And she had a sister called Mary who was also seated at the Lord's feet and was listening to his word. While Martha was running around frantically trying to make this perfect dinner, I think in honor of Jesus, her sister Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, spending time listening to and learning from Jesus. So the second big point we want you to see is that real connection revolves around Jesus. The first point as Chris said, is the main course is connection, but connection always revolves around Jesus, real connection. Martha missed connection because she missed Jesus. Martha focused on the meal, Mary focused on Jesus. So I want us to look again at the passage and how it started out. Our key verse started out in Luke 10, 38, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. It says, as Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem. Why was Jesus headed to Jerusalem? To die for the sins of the world. His whole being was filled with the intensity of this inner battle to bend his will to his Father's will. We can't even imagine the burden that he was carrying to the cross. And when Martha welcomed Jesus into their home that day, it was a huge day for Martha and Mary and Lazarus to have the Son of God for dinner. Just imagine Jesus 
coming to your home. You'd be thinking, what is his favorite food? I'm gonna make something he really likes. So she rushed and she fussed and she cooked and she made everyone feel anxious. And that was exactly what Jesus didn't want. All he wanted was a simple, quiet meal with the people who loved him and who he loved. With the cross right in front of him and the overwhelming burden in his soul, he had turned aside to the village of Bethany to find an oasis of calm away from that demanding crowd that was always trying to get a piece of him. If only for a couple of hours, he wanted calm and connection. And that's what Mary gave him. And even though Martha was sincere, what she was doing was threatening to destroy what Jesus needed most. To really develop deep and lasting relationships with the people you love, you have to focus on their need, not what you think it is. It's focusing on their need, not what your need is. You can't project your need onto their need. That's one of the biggest mistakes husbands and wives make. They try to meet their spouse's needs based on what they know their needs are, and it never works. Friends do this all the time, trying to meet the other person's need based on what their needs are. Parents really make this mistake. They don't really listen to understand what their child's needs truly are. And it creates a barrier to real connection. And when you start listening and you learn and you focus on their true need rather than what you think they are, your relationships will deepen and go to a whole new level. I promise you. Well, Mary focused on Jesus. Martha focused on the meal. And real connection always revolves around Jesus. The Bible word for connection is fellowship. And fellowship simply means relationships that revolve around Jesus. The most fulfilling relationships are those that revolve around Jesus. That's why the Bible tells us the church is a family. That's why when it comes to family dinner, the dinner is fellowship and the church is the family. You see, connection is learned, built, and developed at church because real connection, fellowship revolves around Jesus. And then you bring it into your home and your home revolves around Jesus. And then you bring it into your business. And then you bring it into your finances. You bring it into your hobbies because it revolves around Jesus. It doesn't mean you have to do Bible study for it to be fellowship. Most people think when it comes to spiritual, it's all Bible study and prayer and, no, it can be fellowship, just having fun together, eating together, doing life together, learning together, sharing your struggles together. It can include Bible study, but that's what fellowship is. What I'm describing to you is a life group. We have hundreds of life groups at Woodlands Church. Our church is a church of life groups. It's not a church with life groups, it's a church of life groups that meet one night a week or every two weeks to do exactly that. We have life groups of different ages and stages. We have singles life groups. We have young married without kids life groups. We have married with preschoolers and children life groups. We have married couples with teenagers life groups. We have single parent life groups. We have empty nesters life groups. You can have friends and that's great, but if it doesn't revolve around Jesus in some way, it's not the connection that will meet your deepest needs. And in a couple of weeks, we're starting hundreds of new family dinner life groups. This is something new for us and we love it. I know a lot of our life groups have dinner together anyway, but we're gonna start family dinner life groups in a couple of weeks. And we need hundreds of hosts, hundreds of new hosts because there's gonna be so many new life groups start. And so all you have to do to host a family dinner life group for six weeks is invite some of your friends, maybe some neighbors, maybe some people you like to hang out with, maybe some people you don't know yet that you've just become acquainted with. So you invite some friends and if you want, we'll send more people over that sign up that are your age and stage, maybe live in your neighborhood. And then you just, make a meal. It can be a really simple meal. You just make a meal. It's not about a big fancy meal because if you make a big fancy meal, then no one else is going to want to do it in their home as you rotate around. 
And so. You really want to, yeah, lower the bar. Make it like, yes, we can do this. Just do something easy. You would do anyway. Yeah. The great thing about this is you're going to eat anyway. So why not eat with friends? That's right. Make Jesus bread. No one will come back the next week. No. (laughs) Make Jesus bread, but have some pizza ordered. Um, But make a meal and a simple meal. and, And then for 10 minutes, we have a little Bible study that one of our pastors teaches that you just download. And then you talk about it a little bit. You have fun together. You rotate it if you want. And then on the last Sunday of this series, we're having a church-wide dinner on the plaza for everyone. It's gonna be Sunday night, October the 8th. We're gonna have, it's at both of our campuses. We're gonna have barbecue. We're gonna have a lot of people out there doing their barbecuing, and we're gonna have all the fixings. And by the way, in Texas, barbecuing is a spiritual gift that God gives some folks, okay? And we're going to let them use their spiritual gift. We've overcrowded our schedules. We race through life at 100 miles per hour. And instead of building connection, we destroy connection. We, like Martha, think we're doing the most important things, but we're really missing the mark. And our souls get malnourished. And the very thing that can satisfy our deep hunger, we don't have time for. If you don't have time to be in a life group, then you're too busy. It's as simple as that. We meet in large group once a week. The Bible commands it. In worship, it's powerful, it's amazing. We connect with each other, we connect with God, but then we connect in that small group. That's what the church is all about. The Bible says they met in the temple courts and from house to house. Big group, small group. And so you're missing why you were made if you haven't connected in a life group. And we're gonna get you connected In two weeks, we're starting these family dinner life groups. We need so many new hosts. It'll be so much fun. It'll be an adventure. And so here's how you sign up to be a host. You go to the website, and then you see host a family dinner. Click on that. And then you can say what kind of life group you want, what age, what stage, and and sign up right there that you're going to host a life group. You're gonna host, and then we're gonna come alongside you and, and give you all the material you need and help you out, and there's really, it's not, bio, you don't have to teach it at all. You just pop in the video, and we have our pastors out in the foyer, and they'll help you. We got a big table out there about hosting a life group. So we really encourage you, because real connection revolves around Jesus Christ, and that's what a lot of people are missing out today on. I want you to look at Luke 10, verse 41. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and distracted by many things, but only one thing is necessary. Here's the third thing we want you to get. See, the main course is connection. And real connection, fellowship revolves around Jesus. But the third thing is, the one thing is relationships. It's connection, it's fellowship. It's loving and being loved at the deepest level. There are a lot of things I could spend my time on, but there's only one thing that will last. Relationships, the vertical relationship with my creator and the horizontal relationship with the people around me. 22 years ago this week, on September 11th at 8.45, on the 103rd floor of the World Trade Center, people were going about their business as usual, They were just getting into the office. Some were pouring coffee. Others were checking their emails from the day before. Some were checking on appointments they had coming up in the day. Others were just talking to colleagues. But one minute later, none of that mattered anymore. I mean, what do you do when you know you have about 10 minutes left to live on this earth? What do you do when you know you've got 10 minutes to live? Well, those who could find phones, they didn't call the stockbroker to find out what the latest ticker was. They didn't call their bankers to find out what was in their savings account. No, they called their spouses to say, I love you for the last time. They called parents to say, thank you for the last time. They called children to say, I'm proud of you for the last time. They called best friends and loved ones to say, I love you one last time. Imminent death has the power to clarify our values, to help us see things the way they truly are. We all know at the end of our lives, we're gonna look back and say, why didn't I see it earlier? A lot of those things that I did in my one and only life that I spent my life on 
weren't really important at all. Let's look again at verse 42. Jesus said, only one, one thing only is essential, and Mary chose it. It's the main course and won't be taken away from her. Mary made a choice. She said, Mary, he said, Mary chose it. Mary chose the best thing. And that's important to see because choosing one thing usually means turning away from another. Not making hard choices and just going along with the flow, that's a choice too. It's a choice that I'm not going to turn to the things that are most important. I'm going to pretend that that doesn't exist. I'm just going to spend my life, uh, while away my life, let it drain away and never get intentional. And relationship is a choice. It's always a choice. And I am encouraging you this week, Carrie and I want to challenge you, all, everyone, to have one dinner with your family or if you're single, with a few friends, and get this, at a table, so with other people, at a table, and here's the kicker, no screens. So without phones on or a television on, actually communicating. It doesn't matter what the meal is. You could pick up McDonald's. That's not the point. The point is sitting together and communicating with each other. I love that when Jesus came to a meal, he always brought great clarity and focus to everyone who was there because there was no question about what the main thing was. And that's what it looks like when we bring Jesus into our homes. I'm challenging you this week, pick a night. Don't focus on the menu. Focus on the people, the people with you. He created you for connection. You are not an island. God created you not to be all alone, but to be surrounded with communication, communication with our creator, communication with others. And so if you're aching with loneliness today, even though you may be surrounded by people all day, every day, loneliest people often are surrounded by people, but without connection. Connection doesn't happen uh, over Instagram. It, that's not connection. Real connection happens face to face. That's what the church is for. Together, we are the body of Christ. As Carrie said, we gather together corporately once a week to worship and grow in our faith. And then, and the Bible says that's important, but then we also need to regularly gather with a handful of other believers so that we can really see them, see into their lives, and allow them to see us so that we can help and be helped, so we can share laughter and tears and struggles and successes. You see, Jesus can look into a crowd and he sees every heart. He knows all of our thoughts before we speak them. But as humans, we need a small group of people to intentionally grow in faith with. We're not Jesus. We can't do connection in a crowd, true connection, that one-to-one -one seeing each other. People who we really see and people who we allow our true selves to be seen by, that's a really important thing to have in life. And it takes practice and intentionality to stop and consider people as individuals, to really see them. And that's the starting point to learning to love your neighbor. First, you have to see them. A while back, the youth pastors had asked if we could host uh, an event in our home. And, and we've done this a lot. I said, sure, that's great. The day came. And that morning, the washing machine broke. It overflowed. And so, you know, big mess, cleaning that up. I called the repairman who came out and came in, looked at it, went back out. And when he did, let the dogs out. And so the dogs went racing down the street. It took me forever to finally catch them. I got back and thought, okay, I'm on track. Now I'm going to get this day back on track. And I sat down and I started to work on um, some work I had to do on the computer, some emails, and my computer crashed. And I was just getting more and more frustrated as the day went on. And all day long, I'd been thinking, okay, I need to go get food for these kids to eat. Because if you've ever had teenagers in, a, in your home, you understand this. They're like locusts. They just come through. I thought, I need to go to the store. And I've got to get, I, I want to get some, some snacks for them. And so when I finally made it out the door to go get, you know, go to get some food at the grocery store, Fred the kids, um, I was on the way, and the bottom dropped out. It was just started pouring rain, just pouring. 
I have no margin in my day at this point. I mean, I only have time to get in there, grab stuff, and get back home before they arrive. I pull up at the grocery store, and there's no parking places. There's just, I can only find something way in the back. And of course, I didn't have an umbrella in my car with me. I didn't have time to wait and see if somebody would pull out up front, so I just, whatever, and I slammed the door, and I ran in in the pouring rain, you know, completely drenched. I run through the store grabbing some, you know, snacks, chips, Cokes, stuff for the kids. And I'm very careful to keep it under 10 items because I need to do the express line. And so I run up the express line, great, thank you, there's only one person in line. And I was right there with my stuff, and slowly, slowly, this woman took things out of her cart and placed them on the cashier's table. And I was, I just thought, come on, come on, come on. I wanted to help her. Come on, come on, keep going, keep going. And it was just achingly slow. And she had clearly not paid attention to the 10 item limit. And it was just on and on. And meanwhile, a line is forming behind me. And my frustration is really rising now because I think, come on. I mean, how, you know, oblivious can you be? How selfish can you be? Here, you know, people have things to do. And just get this over with. Come on, come on. And as I was getting madder and madder, I, thought, I started thinking, Lord, I'm trying to do this for you. I'm having kids over. Help me here. Help me deal with her. Come on, God. And as my frustration is rising and the people behind me are starting to kind of let their frustration be known too. They're oh, making sounds. And, and she starts digging. This woman starts digging in her purse. And then after a little while, she says, oh, no, I don't know if I have my card with me. And I just thought, oh, are you kidding me? And then she turned around and she said, I'm so sorry, I'm just, I'm really, I just, my daughter, she just started chemo today, and I'm trying to get something for her to eat. I don't know what she might like or what would work. And in that moment, I really saw her. I was gut punched. Here I had been judging her thinking, she's so selfish. She doesn't care about anyone and what they have going on. It's all about her. And in that moment, I realized I was describing myself. Describe myself perfectly. I was only thinking about what I had going on. I didn't care about her as a person. She was just an obstacle to what I wanted to do for my plan. And I handed the cashier my card. I just said, just put hers with mine. And, and then I slowly... I got my groceries and went out to the car. This time I wasn't rushing anymore. I just walked out to the car. And I, in the pouring rain still, and I got in the car, and I just closed the door and put my head on the steering wheel and just sobbed and thought, what kind of creature am I that I could so quickly judge someone who is living out my worst nightmare? That's, that's what she's going home to. And I had totally neglected to see that there was a human being in front of me, a real person who had needs, who was hurting. And the thing is, I should have known better for a whole lot of reasons. But in that moment, when I was in the car, the Lord reminded me for the first time in decades of another grocery store line. Because when I was a teenager, I was at a grocery store and I was standing in line with a single item. I had one package of pantyhose. Okay, it was the 80s, okay? And so <laughs> I'm standing in line with my one thing. And there was a long line of people with big overflowing grocery carts. And it got to be my turn. And I looked at my purse and I started digging. And I found I, had, I didn't have my wallet with me. And, and I was embarrassed and I, I didn't know what to do. And I said, wait, I need to get this. I, I need to get this. Can you just wait? Could you wait? Could you wait? while I go and, and work this out, because I, I need this now. And I could feel the anger and frustration of people in line behind me. I could feel them just getting mad and angry. And what they didn't know, what they couldn't have known, because I hadn't been brave enough to explain, like the woman that had been in front of me in the grocery store, is that my mom had died the night before. 
And that morning, I'd gone to the funeral home with my family, and we all got assignments, and you know, somebody was going to get pictures, and my job was to pick out something for her to wear and get her clothes back to the funeral home. And somehow, in that moment, I got in my head, I really wanted to go get her some new pantyhose. In the moment, it was just really important to me. Nobody saw me that day. Oh, they saw that there was this selfish girl there, you know, probably getting ready for a date, could care less about anybody else. Nobody really saw me. I I didn't speak up. But here's the thing. Seeing people and being seen, it's really, really important. Life groups is a great place to practice that. I found out something. Spiritual maturity doesn't come with age. You could have been a Christian for 30, 40, 50 years. Doesn't mean you're any more spiritually mature. Spiritual maturity comes with practice. It comes by practicing it. I'm proud to say that now when I go to a grocery store, I am actually very aware of this, of what could be in front of me and trying not to be impatient. But to put me anywhere else in life, and I forget that lesson. And I can be right back in the same place. But we have to practice. And we need some people who are headed the same direction to practice with. So what I'm encouraging you to do is be brave. Be brave. You're not avoiding a life group, most likely, um, for any other reason than it's a little scary because it's different and new and you don't really know how this is going to go. And I get that. I'm encouraging you, be brave. Speak up. Step into what real life is all about. Get practice. Our dream is that this church, that we would all grow to be more like Christ every single day. That every week when we gather, we would be more like Christ, more like him, and we would be continuing to reach out and see people who don't yet know him and bring them in. We love you guys, and we encourage you to be brave. Let's practice this life together. Yeah. Let's stand together, and let's pray. And and Chris and I, our greatest prayer is for God to open our eyes as a church this week open our eyes to the needs of others, to really see them, to open our eyes to what God wants for us, and to be brave and just take a step of faith and host a life group. Be brave, take a step of faith, and take the next step God has for you. Maybe it's baptism. Maybe it's trusting him with your finances. Maybe it's starting to spend time with him daily. But when you host a life group, you connect in a life group, you don't have to act spiritual. You you don't have to think, I'm coming in here and now I'm going to really try to see people and speak into their heart. Oh, I need to share my struggles now. No, you just have fun together. That happens as you go along in life, as you hang out with people like you who are going in the right direction. They don't have it all together, but you have fun together and it turns into fellowship and it will last for all eternity. So let's pray together. Dear God, we come before you today. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you have such a purpose and plan for us. But Lord, forgive us that we get so busy doing all these things that we think are so important, but they're really just urgent, but they're not important. And we miss out on what it's all about, connection, that fellowship, those deep relationships, because that's all we'll care about at the end of life We'll finally see it clearly, but Lord, I pray you'd help us see it now so we don't have regrets when we come to the end, so we don't waste our one and only life. Help us see it now. And Lord, I pray that we would just welcome you into our lives in every way. I pray for those who have never received you as Lord and Savior, right now, silently in their heart, they would pray this prayer. Jesus Christ, I invite you into my home, into my heart. And I ask you to forgive me of all my sins and give me a fresh start. Come into my life through your Holy Spirit. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want my life to revolve around you. I want to build my life on connection with you and others to grow spiritually. Accept your free gift of heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Woodland Church, God's doing so many amazing things. This fall is going to be unbelievable. I just want you to get all those things on the church calendar, on your calendar. And by the way, we have our big fall baptism right after this service. And we want to say, go right out to the foyer. We've got dressing rooms. Some of you have already brought clothes to be baptized in. If you didn't, we have shirts and shorts of all different sizes. And we want to help you follow the Lord in baptism today. Also, I'm having an informational vision meeting for anyone interested in our downtown campus. We've already started the building process. We want to reach the city of Houston in such a powerful way, and that'll be in the chapel right after this service. You can drive over to the chapel. It'll be about 20 minutes, and um, it'll just tell you. So if you know someone who lives in the downtown area or west side, east side, right downtown, wherever it may be, somewhere in the loop, the heights, let them know about it, and you may want to find out some more information about it. Or maybe you live down there, and I really encourage you to find out more about it. God's up to great things. And one thing I know, Jesus Christ is the answer, and there's power in the name of Jesus. I don't know what you're facing this week, but he can overcome it. There's power in the name of Jesus. Do you believe that, Will, in church? Let's just praise him and thank him, and let's sing to him. Hey church, thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.